This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses Season 7, Episode 1. Yay! Yay! When good characters go bad. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. <laughs> <laughs> we, we didn't mess that up on our first try. That's good. Um, all right, good characters go bad. We're going to talk about large-scale arcs um, for characters in this podcast. Specifically, how do you take a character that the readers initially enjoy and love and turn them into someone fallen, someone evil, someone horrible, someone nasty. Is it a bad omen to just start the seventh season talking about something good that gets crappy? No, because we were never good in the first place. <laughs> we're not that smart. <laughs> well, and your goal shouldn't be take something good and make it crappy. Your goal should be to take a that character who is good and make us love that character all the more for the fact that they've turned evil. Yeah. Or make us incredibly sad that they have turned evil. Yeah. Yep. So um, the question is, um, how do we do this? What are, what is our, well, what are our, why would we do this? Let's ask why first. What's the point? Character change is really, really interesting. Okay. It's really fun. Uh, whether it goes in either direction, someone being redeemed or someone falling from grace, either, either direction works really well as a very emotional arc. Yeah. Because you're not just watching someone go from weak to strong, which is a, you know, a common one, but you're literally watching them change who they are fun- fundamentally. Yeah. It's one of the main reasons why we read fiction, I think, is to experience characters and watch their, their progress in life. Mm-hmm. And that progress is not always up. During our, I think it was our first Worldcon episode uh, back in season six, Pat Rothfuss pointed out, that there's so many things that can happen to a character that are worse than dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And having that character turn bad is something that we as uh, we as readers will fear much more than them dying heroically. Yes. Yes, indeed. In fact, I mean, this is the, the entire... What really made the original Star Wars trilogy work was the, is Luke going to go to the dark side? This concept as a conflict was... F- was fascinating. It was wonderfully gut-wrenching. And so, of course, Lucas did it again in the prequels and failed um, uh, in, in many ways, I think. Um, and um, we, we, we want to talk about how to do this the right way. So how do we go about doing this? What's, what's our first step? Well, the first step is to give the character a, a choice that seems completely logical, mm-hmm. that they have to make, but that just edges them down that path. Right. It's that, you know, the, uh, the moment of, well... There are no cars coming. I can just go through this traffic light. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I'm going to go back even further and say that the first thing you need to do mm. to really set this up is you need to establish that character and let us see them being good. Let yeah. us see yes. their starting state. Fair enough. And, uh, you know, if you really want it to be really heart-wrenching, then let us see them being a very good or very heroic or very something so that yeah. we get to yeah. love heroic them. Heroic about... Not running the traffic lights. Yeah, you know this is a thing. Well, no, seriously, this is a thing. You know, traffic law. No, if people, you just got to obey the law all the time, and then something changes. You know, watches somebody. You know, zip through a light and is angry, um, and and I don't know how you shift that, but yeah, and that, at that point when he or she, you know, decides to run a light, mm-hmm. we the reader, it's a small thing, but we the reader will see that and say, oh no, that's. 
You know, see, I think, honestly, traffic lights is maybe the wrong way to go with this. <laughs> it was this. a metaphor. Yeah, it was yeah. a metaphor. I think we're carrying it too far. Um, but we're really, um, I but think, we're looking I, My for point it, is you yes. can start with something small that works in-universe. Right. And especially if you're building this across, uh, you know, in epic fantasy or epic yeah. sci-fi, building this across multiple books, um, it's it's perfect because you see a small thing in book three, right. so that you know by the time you get to book seven, it's really no surprise that this character has proceeded this far down the slippery slope. Right. I think part of that is actually finding what they care about and making sure that they care about it deeply, and mm-hmm. having those having that those steps down you know down the dark side uh, be linked to trying to achieve that goal. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's a that's a very good point. We want their, each of their steps to be logical, and we want us to wince along the way. Now, my question is, um, do you, would you make a dividing line between you know these steps up to this line we see as being dangerous, but then there's the one step that's just completely over the line, or would you say it's that first breaking the moral code that is over the line? It's hard to say. Uh, yeah. Using using the John Cleaver books as an example. Uh, the infamous scene with the cat in Mr. Monster is, is always mm-hmm. the scene that people will point to and say, you know, that's where John fell. That's where he fell in the hole and had to crawl out later. But like you say, that journey began for him a whole book earlier when he decided, all right, I'm going to break all my rules. Right. I have a good reason for it, but I'm going to start being the kind of person I know I shouldn't be. I, I think we're casting the question wrong. I think right. that you as an author... Um, if you've mm. decided exactly where the line is, right. that's boring. Give us a foil character for the character who is, uh, who is falling and have them discuss relative morality and shades of gray so that you know, one of them feels one way and one of them feels the other way and, and leave that to the reader because the, regardless of where you say the, the line is, okay, that's a good the point. reader's going to pick their own line. And I think that engages the reader a little more, mm-hmm. especially if... Uh, you as the author uh, have a particular sort of moral fiber and you would put the line at point A right. and half your readers want to put it at point C. Yeah. If you beat them over the head with point A, you've lost them. Yeah, that's, that's a really valid point, um, I think. And, and the characters Which is might... an amazing point for me yeah. to be able to make since I've never actually done this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think in the characters' mind also there's something to consider. And a lot of these are just considerations for you as a writer deciding. I think... You decide, is your character feeling that this is the point where I'm crossing a line or not? Um, your character may, you may want to write a character that they never think they crossed that line. Mm-hmm. You saw them step from, you know, being a, a, um, a, a sort of righteous warrior for what is right into horrible terrorist going after, you know, every innocent they can find. And in their head, they're still the righteous warrior. Mm-hmm. Or you're going to say, you're going to push them up against the wall and have them snap and say, okay, I'm done with this. I'm done following the rules, and I am just going to go for myself now. And I think those are two very different archetypes. They are. Uh, one thing that I really like about the first one you mentioned, where it's kind of a gradual slip and you think you're still being good, is the eventual realization. You know, long mm-hmm. after they've crossed the line, yeah. they realize it. They do something and they look at themselves and go, oh my goodness, what have I become kind yeah, of thing. And, and that moment in fiction um, is incredibly cathartic for a reader yes and and that's that's one good reason to to do this to your character yeah. for that that turnaround like um boromir in lord yes. of the rings mm-hmm. um seeing seeing his his slip and then the moment when he 
when he redeems himself right. is so moving. Well, mm-hmm. and I think Boromir's pr- showing us something else, which is another good reason to do this, um, is that Boromir falling actually set the stage for us to really worry about all the other characters yes. throughout the rest of the series. It was a wonderful sort of, hey, look what can happen if you're not careful. Yeah, yes. it was look, in some a ways a, a foil yeah. to Frodo to say, here's how two different people deal with the temptation of the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, another great literary example of this is Othello, mm. uh, where he starts off as an incredibly good person and is corrupted over time um, by jealousy and eventually realizes, oh no, what have I done? Mm-hmm. And you get that huge catharsis right there where he, you know, the full impact falls on him. Yeah. Well, it's been so, been so long since I've read it. Um, Portrait of Dorian Gray Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, is a, you know, long study in that. Uh, Brandon, when you gave us the, you know, those, those two archetypes, I'm, I'm not sure whether or not this is actually a third. Um, the idea that, uh, uh, you know, I didn't cross a line. I misunderstood the positioning of the lines, mm. you know, as I, you know, as I, I learned more about the world and realized, oh, the lawmakers themselves are corrupt. Therefore, the law isn't valid. Therefore, these rules I've been arbitrarily following, this code I've been adhering to, um, the line isn't there anymore. Right. You know, a character yeah. whose, whose voyage of discovery includes uh, learning horrible things and maybe learning making the wrong choice about them. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. I mean, there, there's so many different ways to take this, and the, the, the issue with kind of talking about this is um, you as listeners work, working on your own projects, you're going to want to create arcs for your characters. We're just trying to encourage you to think of different types of arcs and to remember that some of those arcs can go ways that the reader doesn't want them to. Um, they don't want them to, but they will like the fact that you did it to them. Yes. Yeah. Um, let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week. Um, and uh, Dan, you're going to promo uh, a book for us? Yes. Uh, book of the week this week is Hard Magic by Larry Correa. He's been a guest on the show a couple of times. And I'm, I know we've talked about this book before, but now the uh, audio book is out. It's narrated by Bronson Pinchot, uh, Cousin Bauke from Perfect Strangers. But uh, it's actually awesome. That makes it sound bizarre. But he's a fantastic reader. And uh, the story is great. It does have some kind of fallen from grace characters, though it's not a perfect analogy for our podcast because you don't get to see him do it on stage. But it's uh, an excellent book. Larry Correa is a great writer, and you will love it. www.audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Uh, Head on out there. Uh, You can kick off a free 14-day trial membership. Download Hard Magic by Larry Correa, our good friend and a fantastic writer for free. And by doing that, you help support writing excuses. All right. Mm-hmm. Yep, we can continue to fly Mary out here to create podcasts <laughs> for you. Um, let's talk about tragic flaws. Um, since we brought up Othello, um, and this is one of the classic Greek archetypes, the hero who falls from grace. Um, mm-hmm. It's Oedipus. It's, it's many of these things. Um, how important do you think the tragic flaw is to taking a good character and making them bad? I always, I mean, I think... Every character, almost every character, is improved by a tragic flaw. Mm-hmm. Everybody has something to varying degrees. Yes. Um, and if, if you have someone trying to become evil and they do not have a tragic flaw, then they're probably actually a pretty good guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even uh, Dr. Horrible, yeah. which is the story of someone who, you know, yep. a super villain origin story. 
uh, he has his tragic flaw, and you don't really realize it until the end, and you look back and you go, oh, okay, yeah. I can see what was going on here. And you love that character. You think he's fantastic. You know, but yeah, that, that actually brings up something that, that I think we should talk about while we're talking about this, which is that in, in fantasy and science fiction in particular, a lot of the times the things that our heroes do, uh-huh. if you transplanted them into this world, would be, they would be terrible, terrible people. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of death and mayhem. And in order to have a character go bad in a story, in order to make sure that that tragic flaw is visible, you do have to, not only do you have to show them being normal at some point, but you have yeah. to show what the norm is in that society right. and how they react to it and how other people react to their actions. Yep. This goes back to what Dan said. You kind of have to establish the character early on mm-hmm. and show them, you know, not even just being good, show them being normal. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think that part of what will make a tragic flaw really work is, um, you know, why we just didn't want Luke to go evil. Why we were so worried about Luke going evil is he was an everyman character. He felt like us. And him choosing the dark side is a little bit like us seeing the darkness inside of ourselves. Um, And every one of us occasionally chooses that. And we we want to learn to not to. We want to think that we're better than that. And so Luke having that struggle is so strong for us. Yeah. It's interesting that you can actually tell and people have done this as as a spoof but you can actually tell that story with luke as the bad guy Mm -hmm. you know overthrowing the empire you know yes you can and but it it all has to do with where the point of view is and and character reactions in fact that that whole jedi admonition use force luke (laughs) 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 all right so how um how do people do this poorly um if you've seen it done in fiction or in film or somewhere where it just hasn't worked for you, um, what's, what's gone wrong? One of the things that we say about villains all the time is that a really good villain in general will think that he or she is the hero of mm-hmm. the story. And where you see a falling from grace story go wrong is that they will come to a point where they're like, okay, I'm just going to be evil now. You know, mm-hmm. They will make an on-screen decision to be the bad kind of villain that nobody is interested in. Um, now, I'm, I'm going to counter that a little bit because of the, the thing I brought up before. The person pushed to the breaking point. You know, it's something like, um, like the movie uh, falling, falling Down. Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Um, where a person pushed to the breaking point and snaps. And you actually root for them as you know they're, they're, they're going evil. That character can oftentimes say, you know what? I'm not, they don't think I'm going evil, but they do think I'm not going to care anymore. And that is essentially acknowledging I'm, I'm going I'm mm-hmm. to go be selfish now. I'm tired of being the good guy. And I think that can be played in a way that, that works really that well. That can work, yes. I think it can be played very poorly, though. And I think this was, um, you know, we, we, we like to harp on the prequels. I like to harp on the prequels. I think they were, they were very <laughs> poorly done. Sad. I think that's one of the things where it's just like, all right, I've decided I'm a villain now. So I'm going to now go kill babies. Um, rather than having a kind of a, a fall that felt realistic to me. And granted, you could say this is the force. He's now been invested with the dark side, but that's not how it was presented to me. Um, it was presented as he wants to do bad things for good reasons because he wants to save, you know, the woman he loves. And that somehow equates to in the next step, killing babies. Yeah. Um, what, what's, what's, interesting, what's interesting about the prequels uh, is that um, when I look at the general shape of what he outlined... Um, it could have worked brilliantly. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think that the 
the the dialogue and some of the camera work and some of the editing and and things didn't support right uh, what needed to happen. But I, I certainly think he had the right idea. Well, let's let's back away from just harping on that then, yeah. because if it's a problem of execution and not concept, let's look at our listeners who are going to try this. What can they? How can they avoid making um, making mistakes themselves? Well, for me, it always comes back to you know know what your character wants, mm-hmm. and um, and and everything kind of drives from that point. You, if if your character is not sufficiently motivated, if they are making choices because you want it to happen, right? Then you're going to run into problems, and that that's you know you know, and it, it can be just another problem of foreshadowing. Watch your foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Let us you know put the gun on the mantle that this character is is approaching an edge. Yeah. Um, and let us let us anticipate it. Um, don't just have them, you know, go evil. If you just have them do that, you're missing out on the opportunity of all the anticipation of mm-hmm. oh, please don't do that. Yeah. Yes, which can be. I say this having built a career on that anticipation. Mm-hmm. That's very powerful. Yeah. yeah. That is what a lot of people like about the John Cleaver books is the constant tug of war of is he going to go evil or not? Mm-hmm. And so don't forget that if you have a chance to put it in. You know, and I actually, as, as we're talking about this, I actually think that some of what we're looking at is, is not just what's happening with the character, but what's happening with the tone of the narration. Um, you know, in film you have, you have the, the musical score that gives yeah. you a clue, mm-hmm. uh, which is a handy trick that we don't have, but we do have the, the tone of the narration. Dan, you were talking a, a while ago about um, the difference, you know, when, when writing horror, the, the sense in the language of being trapped. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's one way that you can say these choices are bad. Um, yeah. As opposed to these choices are heroic. Hurrah, let's kill people. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. Okay. Mary, when you said we want to look at the characters, you know, what, what is the character wants? Um, I think one of the easiest ways to set this up from the very beginning as a writer is to establish two or three things that the character really, really wants, none of which are in conflict. And then as the story progresses, those things become in conflict and the character chooses, to go back to the prequels for a moment, you know, chooses, uh, you know, love of Padme over, you know, saving the galaxy from the evil of the Sith. Uh, I I actually, when I'm teaching, use use the original Star Wars um, Mm -hmm. as an example. You know, what Luke wants is to be a to be a great man like Uh his father. He wants to get off the planet and make a difference. And unfortunately, the thing he has to do in order to achieve that is to kill his father. Um, Sorry about the spoiler, guys. (laughs) Dang it. I think the statute of limitations on Star Wars is a little bit fast. Yeah. Okay. Um, We're we're out of time. Um, Let's go ahead and wrap this up. Um, Why don't we we throw at Howard a writing prompt? Perfect. Um, you know what? I'm just going to build this off of the, the last comment I made. Uh, come up with a list of three things that are very, very important to your main character that are all in alignment, and now uh, outline yourself some circumstances where one of those things is now out of alignment and can drive your character from, you know, from the protagonist's side uh, into, into darkness and eventual oblivion. All right. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. 
Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 